Summer Gamers Anonymous, episode 237. If you want to like 18XX and don't, try out these other games. We'd like to thank all our Patreon backers for helping us bring you a brand new episode. Welcome to Board Gamers Anonymous, the podcast with board gamers in the insane fun we have at the table together. This is Chris. And this is Anthony. My friend, we are back on another fast, dynamic, action-packed episode. When you're board gaming at the table, there's nothing more fast action, dynamic, and exciting than moving little pieces across a little board, right? Mm, yeah. No, it's uh, it's the most exciting thing I've ever done. Uh, <laughs> it says more about me than it does anything else. I think so. I was actually at my friend's house the other day, and his wife was like watching TV like across the room. She's not, she doesn't understand what we do. And we were playing, <laughs> we were playing Sierra West, which is very much like a multiplayer solitaire type of game. Sure. And we were literally looking at our cards and just mumbling to ourselves about like, <laughs> and gold. Like, I don't know, there's a donkey there and you, you get sheep over here. And I don't know if it's a donkey. And she, she just looks up at us and she says, are you even having fun? What are you doing? <laughs> there's no way this is entertaining. And we're like, no, this is great. <laughs> so... <laughs> from the outside we look insane that's all i'm saying yeah i'm surprised that there's just not a happy farm van just driving around different spots and picking us up and wrapping us up in a uh, straight jack and they're like well what are you bringing him in for well he was mumbling to himself as he was looking at little pieces of paper and little wooden pieces and saying something about farming for his family and global domination so we thought it was safer if he was in a nice rubber room yeah, yeah, and he said he was hanging out with his friends, but really they were sitting at the table mumbling at the same cardboard, so I don't know. <laughs> Once again, a podcast about board gaming that somehow has something to do with farming and shipping and pickup and deliver and global domination, and especially for this episode, we are talking about the board gaming industry subset that typically we don't talk too much about because it's the board gaming that shall not be named <laughs> yeah i mean it's a funny thing we we're i like to think of myself as a heavy gamer i know you do as well right yes and, i do sir and this is like that one little corner of the board gaming hobby that is definitely heavy gamer territory that neither one of us has really done more than dip a toe into yes. so i can't say i don't like 18 double x games i can just say i have not played very many of them so i have gone very 18 double x adjacent and i think that's what this list is about is games that are adjacent if you're just not up for what all of that is you know the big heavy if you make a mistake on turn one you're messed up for four hours type of game <laughs> these are alternatives that are also still four hours and maybe you still mess up early but there's you know they're different <laughs> so heavy stuff heavy stuff we're going to recommend today thinking about board gaming maybe as like the lunchroom when you were in high school and i like to think that we're the cool kids of board gaming because we play the heavy stuff we play the fun stuff and yet there's clearly the hierarchy here and the 18 double x kids they're probably the seniors of the group like they've been around they've seen everything they just show up every once in a while and they they're nice about it they don't mock us just to our faces but nonetheless they are definitely playing the heaviest of the heaviest board gaming out there yeah no 100 percent. and uh they get my respect and adulation and i just 
still don't know if I want to do it. I just don't know <laughs> if I want to do it, you guys. <laughs> well, let's see by the end of the episode if that changes. And if it doesn't, we got some great games that you might enjoy that incorporate some of the great mechanics of 18XX games. Anthony, you and I have a lot of friends who play 18XX games, and it's one of those things where it looks incredibly boring, but just like everything else we do to people on the outside, it probably looks just the same way. So there's so much that's going on with us, and especially since I think we still have some panache, and I still think that we are part of the cool kids, so to speak. And especially the coolest kids at our table are definitely the Patreon backers that help us keep this stuff going, Anthony. So tell us about the contest this week. Yeah, we got a contest. We do this every week. I post something interesting, funny, challenging, whatever it might be on Thursday or Friday. I say that because I, it was a little late this week. Um, and you guys have until Monday at 8 p.m. Eastern when we record this episode to submit your answers. So this week's contest, I asked for a, another one of these treasure hunts to, to, to pull together these different things based on some descriptions I gave you. This week's I asked, there was no specific theme. It was just like a variety of different clever things I was trying to think of. Uh, and I, th I feel like some of them are decently hard. So that was fun. There was a game with multiple versions. And this one, I got several different answers, uh, including Through the Ages, Modern Art, Cosmic Encounter, New Frontiers, um, like different takes on that answer, which I love. Uh, game with a donkey on the box cover. I thought this was pretty funny. And very, very different answers here. So Caverna, sure. Finca, yeah. Scrabble, the Shrek edition. Just kudos to you, sir. That was amazing because <laughs> it's got a donkey. It's got the donkey on it <laughs> and only five people own it on BGG. So amazing game with an anteater. This is me looking up at my shelf and seeing it happens up there. So two people said it happens and two people said card line animals, which yes, there are anteaters in that game system used in at least five games. We got four X, we got block military units, we've got pandemic. Uh, and then we've got like hand building, as you see in like Spirit Island, Concordia, Transatlantic, all of these kind of fit the bill. It's obviously a very broad question, but there's a lot of fun ways you could have gone with that one. Three games that use marbles and everybody gave basically the same answer, which is funny because there's other ones, but these are the modern ones. Gizmos, Potion Explosion and Fireball Island, obviously. <laughs> so I was hoping to get some other fun stuff in there. Game based on a 19th century novel. We got Abomination, The Era of Frankenstein. That's a new one. Around the World in 80 Days, uh, one of my favorite books when I was a kid, actually. Nemo's War, one of the better solo games out there. And then Flatland, the game of many dimensions. So uh, I don't really know. I mean, that that's I know that book. I know that it's, it's a very like philosophical thing, but I didn't even heard of the game. And then one of my favorites, too, as well, is a game about a 90s video game. I didn't actually know how many were out there, but of course, they reminded me Sid Meier Civilization. Yes, absolutely, 100%. And then Doom, the board game. Both versions, of course, uh, was another great one. So fantastic stuff, guys. Thank you again for submitting all of your answers. Uh, the winner this week was William, uh, who answered all of the questions to, to specifications that were listed. And of all the people that answered, we pulled somebody out, and he was the winner. So congratulations, William. I'm going to send you a message. You're going to pick a game, and it's going to be on its way from Game Surplus pretty soon all right so if you like to jump in all the fun that's going on with our patreon accounts check out us check us out at patreon.com backslash bga so you can listen to our brand new episodes on our patreon account 
be able to join us on our Slack group. And of course, join in each and every week on our contests and win some great games. All right, Anthony, so that's everything from our Patreon backers. Let's get on to our listeners. What's our question of the week? All righty, question of the week. What's a game for which you'd like to see a more complex or harder version? So uh, this comes up occasionally, especially now, like the everybody wants all the games to be mid-weight, accessible, an hour to an hour and a half, and just be done nice and quick, right? So... I was thinking, like, what games do we want to be a little bit heavier? Uh, lots of different answers here at different levels of complexity. Um, Mark mentions Lords of Waterdeep, Kingsburg, and then Castles of Burgundy, which is actually not that light of a game. Dead Squirrel, great Facebook game, by the way, mentions Deep Sea Adventures, which I could see that one. It's very simple. It's very quick. But you could probably layer some cool stuff on top of that, right? Sure. Chris mentions Jim Henson's Labyrinth. Components are beautiful, but they forgot to make a game out of them. <laughs> yes, I have seen that. <laughs> yeah, that's a shame. Drew mentions The Godfather. Would love to see a more complex American Mafia game, like a coin style game. And as he's describing this, I'm not going to read the entire thing, but as he's describing this, I'm like, yes, 1000%. I like The Godfather, but like a coin style take on that with like hidden mechanisms and trying to like win over like people's opinions and everything. That sounds amazing. So I'd be all about that. We have Chris mentions Las Vegas and I don't, it's a tough one. Cause he also mentions how some lighter games like queen domino and King of New York didn't really succeed because they took a tried and true formula and they made it more complex and people just don't want that. I think you see that a lot actually. And I kind of agree like King domino and King of Tokyo are still like, the games from those series the, the bigger heavier ones are for people like us who just want heavier games but there's a place for it carl mentioned sagrada and baron park baron park especially i could see that being a little bit heavier and that'd be kind of fun we had several troll answers john said tracaria david said feudum michael said my little scythe i mean come on guys what are you doing <laughs> chris mentioned spirit island come on you know you know what i'm going so yeah I, I i think there's a lot of fun games out there we were actually talking about one earlier before we started recording that you mentioned right villagers that could have done with just a little bit more length and a little more content right yeah i think it's a really fine tableau building game that i very much enjoyed and it has a little expansion pack which adds modules to it but it really never gets beyond just kind of splaying out the cards so in that way especially with the draft being as simplistic as it was it was a little bit of a letdown because it, the game felt like there was a lot more potential there. Yeah, I feel like that happens a lot. Like you play it and you're like, I like everything this is doing. It's just so short and I'm not really getting to build the engine to the level I want. Mm. It just that could, like someone else mentioned, like just offhandedly Dice Forge, 100 percent Dice Forge. I love the idea. I want to love that game. It's not complex enough. There's not enough going on. It just feels very like. You're in a very tight loop for about 45 minutes and then a bunch of quick decisions and the game's over. Yeah, it feels like there's some sort of calculation, whether it's the price of the components or generally the theme. Like there's certain things where it's like this theme can't be much more complex than X or like you said with Dice Forge, this component's costing this much money. So therefore it has a extraordinary value to it so we don't need to anything more to it like like they said earlier about labyrinth or dark crystal these these games which are heavy ip games so obviously very expensive to produce but there's really nothing to it beyond 
very cool components. All right, so that's everything that's going on our Facebook. If you'd like to join the conversation, check us out on facebook.com slash BGA. There is so much conversation going on there, not just the question of the week. Twitter, our YouTube channel. Did you know we have a YouTube channel? Most people don't, but subscribe onto YouTube and you will get our episodes up there. Plus, all the great episodes Anthony's already placed up there about new games that you might be interested in. BoardGamersAnonymous.com, all of our content, our written articles, our videos, everything possibly that you can want from BGA are up there now. So check us out and write to us. We would love to hear from you. All right, Anthony, so that's everything from our listeners. Let's get on to our acquisition disorders. So what do you want to hit the table coming up? All right, yeah, so... Early this year, I got in a copy of Gugong. This is a, a game from Game Brewers. Uh, there was a Kickstarter that ran about a year and a half ago. It's from Andreas Stedding, who actually made Hansa Teutonica like 10 years ago. And then he had a few games in between, but nothing like a huge mega hit. And then here he came with Gugong. And Gugong, when I reviewed it, I gave it a play because it was a big, massive production. It was very expensive. Even the base game was decently expensive. And it felt kind of, you know, medium weight would blend into everything. And then I went and played it for months. It just kept hitting the table. That gifting mechanic that comes in the game where you have a hand of cards and then you have to place them out and they have to be more valuable than the cards that's already there. It was just very clever. It worked really well. And surprisingly, that this game just keeps hitting the table. I really, really enjoy it. Uh, so it's still on my shelf. The game, however, does seem to have like a natural limit. There are several different places you can place things and do things on the board, but there's some areas that are better than others. There are some mechanics that work better than others. So when they announced an expansion with Panjun, I was 100% on board. So this is up on Kickstarter as of the day we're recording this, which was the 2nd of September. It's up for... I believe 18 days. So it's going to go off on September 20th. So it's about two weeks or so from when you hear this. And it comes with four modules. There's a summer palace, which is a separate board with new actions. There's a peasant's revolt stairs of the palace, which adds like these new separate mat boards that you can place on the, uh, the palace track, which definitely needed an upgrade because it was very, it was one of those things like you have to do it because you can't win if you don't do it. But you don't get anything for doing it. So it's not very interesting. <laughs> it's just one of those like just kind of dull mechanics in the middle of the game that everybody has to do, but you just kind of ignore uh, until you don't have a choice anymore. And then there's the extra decree and additional gift cards, which are fantastic. Now they go up to 10 down to zero different special abilities that are mixed in there. Obviously I'm not going to go through all the mechanics of this game. I did review it way back in February, like episode 200, 205, something like that. Um, if you want to hear like my thoughts on the game and those thoughts still hold, I just think the game holds up better, you know, six months later than when I originally reviewed it, just because I keep playing it. It's a very clever, interesting mechanic with the cards. And I, at the time was even thinking like, man, if you gave me more different ways to do this, I'd be a hundred percent on board. And that'd be great. Productions off the charts, obviously for the price, <laughs> like you're, it's very expensive. They're claiming like a two twenty five. MSRP with the base game and the expansion both deluxified. It's still just a regular old Euro, so I don't know that that's really, you know, an accurate pricing, but you can get it on, you know, Kickstarter now if you get both of them together in the big box for 125. 
So that's the base game with all of the deluxe stuff and all of the modules. It's great. If you already have the deluxe game, the original that you backed, or if you picked up the regular, you can upgrade it for like 60 or 65 with all the extra stuff. So again, it's expensive, but what isn't these days? I really, really, really like this game. So I definitely recommend taking a look. That's a Panjun Deluxe, uh, an expansion for Gugong Deluxe. It's on Kickstarter now. Well, I'm just going to say that uh, I liked it before it was cool, when it was the Forbidden (laughs) City, you know, back in the day. (laughs) Yeah, it's funny, like, you forget these things, because that was like a thing we talked about, what, two Mm -hmm. years ago? Yeah. Um, This was the Forbidden City, and there was another game by Forbidden City, and they had to change the name. Mm-hmm. Like as they're launching the Kickstarter, because the other company that had that game was like, no, you can't use that name. We already have it. <laughs> so. Did they fix the Jade market? Let me just ask, asking for a friend. I don't know. Like I'm looking at the the different modules they added. Nothing is like specific to the Jade market. Mm-hmm. There is an interesting new Jade mechanic on the Summer Palace. And I want to read up more on that. So this is a new action space on the board. That has a whole bunch of stuff. So like, there's options to pick up new decree tiles. There's a jade market there. There's like some upgrade stuff. So it seems like just like a kind of a, a random mishmash of different mechanics. You play a card there and you can do one of several different things, which is kind of cool because it just it's almost like a wild card. But I don't know. The jade market, nobody uses it. You know, unless you get the right tiles throughout the game, it, it doesn't do a lot. So it would be that's my main thing. I Hopefully they fix that. All right. Yeah. I mean, super deluxe version of this. It it seems, as you mentioned, this is the way things are going. I think we mentioned this many, many years ago on our New Year's prediction episode that this is going to be how gaming was going to be, that you were going to have everything super deluxe, everything 70 plus dollars, if not $100 now at this point. And my acquisition disorder is also in that same area. I'm talking about Kanban. EV, Electric Vehicles. Now, Kanban might be a game that you're familiar with. It's from Vitalicerta. And we're looking at a game from Eagle Griffin Games, which I got to be honest with you, there are so many great games out there right now, but Eagle Griffin Games and their production has been seriously off the chart with everything that they've done, especially with having Ian O'Toole as their artist. And we are looking at, once again as I mentioned, because the game was already out. So this is kind of a retooling, pun intended. And it's all about building cars and the workflow here of the assembly line. So you're going to be directing this assembly line of building cars. And with this new version, there's going to be new artwork from Eno Tool, deluxe components, an official solo version. I know Anthony would be happy about that. New tiles, new cards, and a totally new improved rule book which makes me happier than anything else actually in fact uh because you know while i do love italicers games the rule books sometimes can be challenging and obviously since the games are longer and more complex a streamlined rule book is better than anything you could possibly imagine i really like this idea of this retooling of the game because the original kanban i was kind of warned away from it many times because it was so complex Many times people would say, well, once you get through it once or twice, then you'll learn how to play the game. And I was like, yeah, that's not going to really work for me here. And obviously him taking up the Kanban game, which was building these kind of traditional cars, so to speak, with a little flair and kind of revising it thematically to being electrical vehicles. 
is fantastic. I love the artwork here. The box cover looks great. This probably at some point will hit my table, and I'm really looking forward to it. Yeah, dude, Kanban is, um, it's like the last Lacerda game, like, released at this point. I have not played. I picked yeah. up a used copy recently. Have not played it yet. I probably won't now that this is coming. <laughs> and I just love the update of the theming. I love that we get a Eno Tool artwork, which is like a thousand percent upgrade over anything Stronghold does. Yes. Um, that's so ugly. Yes. <laughs> like I have the original. I'm just like, this is so ugly. Yes. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, I'm really excited for this. Anytime I feel like Lacerda goes back and upgrades his older games, like it's just night and day, like the upgrade between the two. So. Definitely, definitely going to back this one when it goes up. And uh, this will be going on my shelf. Yeah, they did a great job with CO2, the second edition. And now we're looking at Kanban EV in February 2020 that's going to hit Kickstarter. So we will keep you up to date on that. And uh, we'll definitely get a review because I'm going to be backing this day one. All right, Anthony. So that's everything for the games that we want to hit our table. Let's talk about the games that have hit our table and let everybody know if those games are a buy and they should run out and pick those games up if those games are a play and they should sit down and play those games if they're a dodge and they should avoid those games because let's be honest eventually someday there's going to be a new version of it that'll probably be better or if those games are the dreaded burn and we'll just run them over with our trains from our 18 double x game so anthony what do you have <laughs> for us this week all right, I got a game that I'm fairly certain we're not going to see an upgrade of and anytime soon. So this is Black Angel. This is designed by Sebastian Dujardin, Xavier Georges, and Elaine Orban. It is the team behind Trois and Pearl Games. It is this, The artwork is designed by Ian O'Toole, and it is some of his most striking, evocative artwork I've seen yet. Very bright, pastel colors, like just look at the board go to bg and look at it you're like whoa that's a sci-fi game okay we when we last time i played it we played like the soundtrack for thor ragnarok and it fit right in so that'll give you an idea this is a game based on a lot of different mechanics they've been working on this for a few years it uses the core dice mechanic from twa but makes a few very important adjustments and improvements i think um to address issues people who didn't like twa might have it also uses if you've played selenia it uses a mechanic from that with like the rotating space board, which is a really cool idea of like as the ship traveling through space. And then it uses a variety of different mechanics around technologies on your personal board. So this is a game that actually layers different systems on top of systems on top of systems, which makes it in effect a fairly heavy game. Uh, I think BGG has it a 382. I feel like that's probably fair just because there's enough stuff going on there to keep track of. But in the end, the game's actually fairly short. It, by definition, really can't go more than about two hours because it's on a timer. No matter what you do, the game will end at a certain point because of the ship's movement or the ravagers that you're facing. So mechanically what you're doing, you are an AI on a ship. You are traveling. It's a generation ship. Earth is totally destroyed because, well, just watch the news. You'll see what happened. We have to find a new planet. So we know it's out there. We're going. All the different countries of earth have designated their own ai to run this ship and those ai are basically competing to see who can do it the most efficiently so you're playing an ai you have little robots that are going to do stuff for you and all the people are sleeping somewhere in the back you are going to take one of 
four potential actions. One is to upgrade your technologies. So we're seeing different alien species we've run into. There's three of them and then one bad one. And that you can take technologies you get from them and upgrade them on your personal board. And they do all sorts of stuff that you can activate on your turns. There is the option to repair the ship from damage that develops over time. You take off different cubes from the board. You put them on your personal board and activate those technologies to do cool stuff. Then there's fighting the Ravagers. So the Ravagers are the fourth alien species. They suck. They try to beat you up. Um, they This is similar to Twa, in which you have the various invaders that are coming in and everybody needs to fight them. The difference here is you can ignore it. Everybody can ignore it. But if everybody ignores it, all of the actions progressively get worse. So when a Ravager card goes to an action space or six action spaces... Then you'll place a damage cube there. Nothing really happens, but if you go there, you have to do the penalty on the Ravager card, and that's basically it. And those they're not the worst penalties in the world. If another card goes there, you do the penalty on that Ravager card, and the die you put there is minus one value, so now you can't do very much. If another one goes there, now you damage a die that's in reserve, and you won't be able to roll that if you go to reroll your dice, and you need that die. Now there's less dice to use. So at a certain point, you kind of have to take care of it. So it's got almost this quasi semi-cooperative element to it. There's no cooperation in the game like to win it. But if you ignore that stuff all as a group completely, bad things happen. The fourth action of the game is to actually move your ships out on the spaceboard and do stuff. This is the most interesting part of the game. So you have a hand of cards. Uh, three different suits that correspond to the three types of aliens plus the Ravagers. And then you can move your ships away from the Black Angel, which is in the middle of the board. And you can play cards from your hand onto the board. And these will give you all sorts of bonuses. So you get points for placing the card. Sometimes you get other stuff as well. You can assign a ship there that allows you to take an action if it's an action space there's other cards actually that you want to put towards the bottom of the board and then when the space tiles flip over and move up to the top you will be able to get whatever bonuses are listed on that card you can also move your ship around and attach yourself to someone else's card which will allow you to gain all the benefits from whatever they're doing but the owner of that card is going to get a benefit from you going there. This is the most interesting, probably most important, and most point-filled part of the game. But it's also difficult to kind of wrap your head around because there's a lot of different things you need to do to get there. And this is probably where the game bogs down the most for people, the first play or two, um, from what I've seen. I've now played this game six times at every possible player count. And the two areas people get the most caught up in are their own technology board and how to activate those technologies and the space board and how to make sure their cards are out there and active and doing things when they need them to be doing things. We talked about earlier how like people don't play enough games, the uh, games enough times to get to the point where they like really understand it and get to the point of playing the game a whole bunch of times and really wrap their head around it. This is kind of that kind of game. It is, it, you're just not going to get it on your first play. I've taught this game now to 10, 11 different people. Nobody seemed to have fully wrapped their head around it the first play through. And the few people I played it with a second time, they did, right? And I've played it, obviously, you know, six times now. I've, the second or third play, I was like, I got it. I'm on it. I can do this. But because there's so many systems wrapped up into the game, you really need to know how they flow together, 
when something lays off, how quickly the game can end. Uh, the ship only moves when people pick up their dice and re-roll them. And that only happens when you choose to do it. So the players kind of control the flow and tempo of the game. The TWA mechanics are boiled down a little bit. In TWA, you could purchase other people's dice and you pay based on the pips on the dice. In this game, you just pay one resource for any die, no matter what the face. So anytime someone buys one of your dice, you gain a resource, which you can then use to buy someone else's die. There's also mechanics that allow you to lock the dice in so that people can't steal your dice. So it, it kind of helps mitigate that a little bit. So if you have like if you roll a three, which is the highest number you can roll in this game, you can lock that and make sure nobody takes it from you. And then people take the other ones. They pay you for it. Each of those resources is worth half a point at the end of the game. The scores are in the 40s, so it's not the worst, right? I, I like how it does that. Like, Twa could be kind of brutal. Some people didn't like that, how people would just take your stuff and you're left with nothing and you don't have the resources to buy their stuff back. It's kind of a tight game that way. Um, this one definitely addresses that. I really, really like this game. So much so that I played it three times this weekend with different groups of people, teaching all these different people, which is not something I generally want to do. But... This In this particular case, I had a lot of fun doing it because there's just so many layers to it. I can help manage the game. Like I just want people to explore and understand and just get the feel of what this game can offer. And that's not something a lot of games really provide. There's just so much depth here to like plumb and pull out and do things with. It, it feels at first glance a little discordant, like all these different pieces all over the place. That, how do they all match together? But thematically, it kind of works. It pulls together. And the more you play it, the more everything kind of flows and you can feel it. And it just works really smoothly. It's a tough one to review because I feel like you have to play it multiple times. The first play, most people are like, okay, I get it. This is good, I guess. The second play, they're like, okay, I get it. I get it. Okay, I know what to do next time. And the third play, it's like, oh, this is amazing. I really, like, I want to try this now. I want to do this. And this is what I want to map out. And this, hopefully I get this card. I'm really enjoying this. I'd be happy to play it again tomorrow. For me, I'm glad I bought this. This is a buy for me. I like it better than Twa. Uh, Twa was a great game. I put it in my top 20 or 30. I can't remember exactly where it ended up. I really, really enjoyed it. This one is better because it fixes the problems people have with Twa. It adds new cool stuff. The space board is really interesting. It all flows together really smoothly. It's got a great solo mode. It plays well at all player counts. I've done all three at this point. And yeah, the only really downside is kind of expensive and you got to play it at least three times. <laughs> so if you play it once, it doesn't count. You got to play it again. So you really get a feel for it. But it, for me at this point, I really, really enjoy it. And uh, yeah, I'll play it any day of the week. So that's Black Angel. For me, it's a buy and uh, it's been one of my favorite games out of gen con so far yeah i've played twa didn't really care for it but you know i would be willing to try it again and then obviously when i heard about black angel coming out quite some time ago i was really excited from the look of the game and it seemed a little different than twa obviously there is a good deal of twa here which then kind of pushed me away but i'm really glad to hear that you enjoyed it that much and that it does open up some of the challenges that you have with twa just because as you mentioned with the dice selection that's kind of a make it or break it kind of scenario and that's not really something that i typically enjoy as far as playing a game is concerned i like to build up something so 
to be able to build and then just have it taken away from me was a little, you know, a little problematic for me. So I'm glad that they at least addressed that somewhat. Yeah, I honestly, having played this a few times now, I think you'd like it, even though you don't like Twa. It's so like the dice mechanic is not the central part of the game anymore. It's there. And if somebody else has dice you like better than your own and you have resources to spend, spend them. But there is a mechanic to be able to flip your dice over. So if you have like a zero or a one, you can turn it into a two or a three. Sure. If you have those resources available. And if somebody buys one of your dice, you now have resources to buy them back. But like the really cool, interesting core parts of the game are your technology board, which is a three by three grid where you can activate all these different technologies that do cool stuff before you even take your turn. And then the space board where you can put stuff out there and either put a really good action out there to entice other people to take it. So you get bonuses from it or just put a really powerful scoring ability out there. Um, And that's the core of the game. So I feel like it just does. It's almost like a tableau-y type of thing, but across multiple layers. And once you get that and have built around that, it's really fun. Nice. So I'll definitely have to check this out. All right. Well, I got a chance to play a game that's been out previously and then revised. And I got a chance to play the deluxe edition of Vinos. I was already raving about Vitalis Serta on the Acquisition Disorder and raving about Eon Tools artwork and raving again about Eagle Griffin Games and their great production. And here's yet another one of them. So this is a game that I've had in my collection for a little while, but I haven't been able to get it to the table yet. Heard a lot of great things about it. Obviously, this game and Tuscany slash Viticulture has had a lot of buzz because people like to produce wine, at least in cardboard version. So this was a game that I was really excited to get to the table Vitaliser is one of my favorite designers, and his games typically have a little bit more crunch to them. Now, with the Deluxe Edition, you have some additions that the original didn't. Obviously, it has the 2016 and the 2010 version of it. It's a double-sided player board, so you can play both versions of the game. The player guide has both versions here, and there is a number of additions added to this game. So there's a Knife Regent added, and I'll talk a little bit about that a new estate that's been added, a farmer character that's been added. The fair, which is a very big part of the game, which we'll talk about in a second, has been streamlined, which is great. There are 18 action tiles that replace the manager's action from the 2010 version. There are 22 multiplier tiles. There, The bank action has been removed. A vintage tile has also been removed. And just a lot of little tweaks here and there. It's been optimized for two players. Some rule sets have been changed. and it has been made better, not to mention a new solo rules has been added to the game. So what I really like when they reprint a game is not just the upgrade artwork. I mentioned this a little bit before, but they fix the rule book. They tweak some of the things. And I really love it when a game has certain things removed from it. Now, when we first started this podcast, I was all about what else can I add to this game? What other promos, what other expansions, But to be honest with you, as time has gone on, I really love to have more or less a definitive version of the game. It's not so much about replayability anymore for me, which it used to be the number one thing. It's really about game experience. You know, the first or second game, I will totally invest into the game. But if there are some wonky things to the game and I'm expected to try to figure out what works best, 
or if there's certain things that aren't play tested, like certain promos that are throwing the game off, then it's really going to make a bad time for me. I'm not going to come back to that game as much as I really would want to. Now, Vino's, as I mentioned, the deluxe edition comes with a lot of deluxe components and the board and the artwork are all very, very beautiful. So to start off with, on the left side of the board, you're going to look at the different regions in which you're going to be able to produce wine in. So these, all these different regions. So let's say if you have four players, you'll play with all nine regions. And on the left side of the board, it depicts Portugal and the different places. And there are a number of regions that you can take these vineyard tiles that you'll add to your main board. Now, your main board is pretty plain, but eventually by the end of the game, you'll have vineyards. And as those vineyards are added to your board, all of those vineyards will have a special ability that you'll have to take into account. Sometimes they are very good, and once or two, they're, they're a little problematic. But nonetheless, you'll be adding those vineyards to the board, and there is whites and reds. So you'll be able to produce whites or red wines there. Now, for the rest of the board, there's going to be a main action section to the board in which you are really going to do most of your actions. So you'll have your little meeple person there right in the middle. And basically, you are going to select one of these nine actions, and you're basically going to move your meeple one space. If you want to move one more, pay a coin. But basically, as I mentioned earlier, you'll pick up a vineyard, and the vineyard allows you to be able to produce the wine. You'll pick up a cellar, which is also another action, which allows you to age the wine. You'll also have buildings to upgrade the wine. You'll have wine experts you'll be able to bring in. You'll have a spot where you'll be able to bring uh, farmers into play as well as ethnologists who will be able to test the wine. Of course, you'll be able to sell your wine for money, or you'll be able to ship your wine out for victory points. And then finally, there's another spot to be able to put more vineyards down. Now, you will be taking one action, and then everyone takes their action. You'll be taking a second action. Of course, everyone takes their second action. And then by the end of the year is the fair. Now, the fair is a very important part of the game because it's going to do a number of things. And basically, you're advertising for your wine. If you don't go over to the fair before the round comes to an end, you're kind of forced over there. And at that point, you take your best wine out there. You pick an action spot, which is going to determine player order. You gain some special abilities. You're able to move your wine down the fair track because it's the most fairest of all wines to be. And whoever gets the furthest on that track will score the most victory points. And then there's a second and third and such that will also allow you to pick a special action tile for the next phase, which is very helpful and will give you bonuses throughout. As I mentioned earlier, you'll be able to sell your wine on certain spots. You'll be able to export your wine on certain spots. The export spot is very important because not only is it going to give you initial victory points, but at the end of the game, whoever has the majority in that column is going to score some additional points. So, so Vinus has a lot of different opportunities for you to expand the value of your wine. Obviously, putting out vineyards is going to give you a bump. Putting out farmers and workers out there is going to give you a bump. Putting into cellar is going to give it a bump as well. A lot of opportunities to raise your wine, to move down certain tracks, to take advantage of the fair throughout the game. And being a very good Euro game, it's all about victory points. So you will do this for three years, and there's different phases for the, each of those years. And the fair particular, as I mentioned, is all about pushing your wine up based upon its value and based upon what the people are really looking forward to. And there's a really interesting interactive little 
market piece that comes into play that will tell you the weather, if the wine's going to be produced at a bonus or a negative, and in particular what the wine tasters are really looking for that season. And it'll give you an opportunity to pick up more barrels that, as I mentioned earlier, are going to allow you to sell and score victory points. There are some additional bonus tiles in this version that you'll be able to pick up throughout the game that will allow you to have an opportunity to score end game bonus points. It's typically better to pick them up earlier so you can build those as the game goes on. But that's pretty much it. Vinos looks like a very heavy, very complex game. It's from Vitella Serta. How could you get through it? And honestly, it's one of the simpler games that I've ever played from him. It's a very abstract version of wine production. There really isn't the heavy complexity of matching certain numbers and getting certain spots throughout the year like it is with Viticulture. This is pretty much pick your vineyard, move your meeples throughout the board to pick up some extra actions, and then, you know, build up for the fair and see if you need to, you know, sell your wine for money or gain victory points throughout the game. It is a very streamlined, it's a very elegant game. It has a number of different expansion modules that you could throw into the game that just adds more goodness to the game. So for Vinos, the deluxe edition, at least the 2016 version, I'm going to give it a buy. Yeah, this is getting great. <laughs> I, uh, when did I review this? It was like 2017. It was a long time ago. I really, really liked it too. I have not played it a bunch since. And I will say, because I know you haven't played 2010, the original. Uh, it's all, you know, like this is streamlined. It's quick and it's accessible. That one's not. So <laughs> getting your money out of the bank is a pain in the butt. Managing stuff, actually measuring your wine and doing all that stuff. It's a little more complicated. The core mechanics are roughly the same, like how you take actions in the center board. But it's just longer. I feel like add an hour or two to the game. And yeah, I don't know. Some people like that. It's fine. But I like the Vinos. The second edition deluxe stuff is more streamlined and accessible, especially for Lacerda. So I agree with you. I, I think I can't remember my original review, but I would say the 2016 is a buy, 2010 is a play. And I mean, you get them both together. So do them both. But yeah. All right, so that's the games that have been hitting our table. Let's get on to our feature review. So for our feature review this week, we are talking about our favorite feature. If you like this, you should try out these other games. Now, typically, when we do our feature, if you like, try out these other games, typically we try to entice you into a heavier version of those great mechanics that you like on those lighter games. But for this, if you like, we wanted to talk about 18 double X games, which are typically the heaviest of the heavy board games out there. So we wanted to talk about some mechanics that you could find in some other games. And especially if you don't like 18 double X games, whether it's the complexity of the game, whether it's the blandness of the board, or you just don't have the time sink for that type of game, then maybe these games would work fantastic for you. Anthony, you know a little bit about 18XX. Why don't you tell us a little about it? Yeah, I mean, 18XX, so like um, we mentioned this at the beginning, we're not experts in this. If you, the, the basic idea is these are generally games about railroads and the stock market, and usually some form of tile placement and building out a map, some kind of routes, right? And there's two branches of this. There's one in which you are trying to pick the best stocks, manage your portfolio as best as you can, and get the most value out of it by the end of the game. There's another branch that 
is all about like predicting the market and manipulating the stocks and generating value by like moving things around a lot. But the, the core idea is you do not own the companies that are on the board. You are trying to like get the most value out of them and then take actions based on if you are rather the president or director of that company and moving stocks around or just manipulating the stocks in general. And then you are trying to guess what's going to happen based on what other people are doing. So those are kind of the core ideas of 18XX. And while not all these games are exactly like that, they kind of give a similar feel without necessarily being that big, huge, sprawling thing where you have to guess correctly early on or the next five hours are going to ruin your life which is kind of what 18XX turns into <laughs> sometimes. All right, Anthony, so why don't you start us off with a game that is very much like 18XX, and if you love those, they might love these, or maybe they like something about that game that they can find other games. Yeah, so the first one uh, I want to mention is one you reviewed last week and I got in the mail just this last week, uh, Barrage. This is from designers Simone Luciani and Tommaso Batista, and you are managing dams, um, hydroelectric dams. And there's like a fantasy theme kind of thrown on the top of the basic idea is water flows down. You try to capture it, turn it into energy, do good things with that energy, right? The reason this feels a little 18 X ish is just you need to claim certain locations and try to manage resources accordingly. And if you make the wrong decisions early in the game, you go to the wrong places, you invest in the wrong items, the game may not go so well for you. Now, this game particularly doesn't have necessarily like stocks and things like that. So it's a little bit, you know, less the uh, 18XX in that way, but you need to have a plan. You need to think ahead. You need to be strategic about it. It's the kind of game where the first time you play it, you maybe don't understand fully the implications of what you're doing, but it kind of builds out as the game progresses. And while... Currently, this game is not in full production. It's just the Kickstarters. There are some production issues. Core mechanics, very good, very interesting. Looking forward to seeing how people play this. And yeah, it's kind of a lighter, more Euro-y take on that. Well, for me, not having played 18 XX games, I know that the first one that came across my path that at least gave me a taste of 18 XX, especially in the route building mechanic, and the industry transportation situation here, especially because it's all about trains, was Brass. Now, in particular, I want to talk about Brass Birmingham because I think Brass Birmingham does a much better job of offering what an 18XX experience is like because there is some variability in the game and how the board is set up, and the players have a lot more say of what gets built And there's a lot of other resources that come into play. So, for example, beer plays a much bigger part because Lancashire doesn't have beer. So basically what you're doing in this game is it's going to be, in a lot of sense, a pick up and deliver game. But it's all about route building. So you'll be producing products at one factory in order to get it to a particular port. You'll have to put down tracks of rail throughout the game and as you're building the rails you'll also connect to other people's rails so you'll be using their rails as well and you might be using their ports or using their factories in order to move resources throughout the board in order to score points and meet your conditions brass is a fantastic game it is not 
an 18 double X game, but the route building in the game, the complexity of the game and the depth of the strategy really kind of leans towards in a really fantastic way, an 18 double X game. That's Brass Birmingham. All right. So for me, I had to pick a splatter game because a lot of splatter games have that 18 double X feel to them. Right. And probably the one that's closest to that is Indonesia, but for a variety of reasons, I'm going to go with food chain magnet because I feel like it's more accessible. It's a little bit quicker to understand. It's not necessarily a faster game. It takes about the same amount of time, but I feel like you can understand and follow through on what you're trying to do in this game faster than Indonesia. And it has a lot of the same frustrations that you might find in 18 X, but you can kind of build on them a little bit quicker. So you manage a fast food chain of some sorts, and you're trying to, produce certain types of goods and use like advertising and different executives that you're going to pick up through cards to make sure the different houses on the map are buying your fast food products instead of someone else's. The game is because of how that ends up working, because you're trying to build these certain routes and the locations that you place your restaurants and how far they are away from certain houses. It's basically a route building game. You're trying to build certain routes and make sure that they match up with the certain types of goods that you're selling based on the advertising that's going out. It's very complicated and you really are never going to quite understand it the first time you play through it. But as you get to understand it, and as you start to play it several times, you understand like the flow of the cards, like the benefits of picking up certain professions, who you have to pay, um, how much you have to pay to get them, um, what the advertising levels are going to do for you at different things and, and how other people can potentially cut you off from selling the goods that you've picked up. This game can be incredibly frustrating. The first time I played it, I realized I was losing 45 minutes in. It's a four hour game. So it has that 18 double X feel of you need to set a strategy. You need to build around it. You need to prepare for what other people are going to do and make smart decisions. But it's also just a little bit more dynamic than you might see in that kind of game. If you're looking for something a little more Euroby. So that's food chain magnet. It's a well, another game that incorporates a fantastic mechanic that 18XX uses is the stock investment. Now, as a hardcore Euro gamer, I felt like I've played all the games. I understood all the mechanics and the different dynamics. And yet, when I got a chance to play Imperial, and especially what I'm going to talk about here, Imperial 2030, I was really in store for a different type of game mechanic. So typically, when you play a dudes on the map game or you play a Euro game, it's all about your company what you're building up, your value, how you have to defend your production and basically whatever your special country or role happens to be. So Imperial and Imperial 2030 is all about the oligarchy, all about these rich people who are utilizing these different countries to build up industry, especially the military industrial complex, to take over other areas, expand, then tax, take all of that money in, burn that company out or burn that country out and then reap the rewards and then maybe go on, buy up another company. Let someone buy some stock in your company. They have to in order for you to have enough resources from that country in order to expand. So it's a very interesting dynamic as in that you don't necessarily own anything whatsoever other than your own money that you're trying to collect throughout the game. So you'll jump in with stocks for other countries, 
building up their resources, expanding, spending, and then moving on to the next country. Imperial Imperial and Imperial 2030 is a really dynamic, interesting game, and it's really going to tax everything that you do throughout. It's a heavy game, has a lot of that stock investment feel from 18XX, but in a really interesting and dynamic model. So check out Imperial and Imperial 2030. All right. So my third game here is a relatively recently released that just came out, picked it up at Gen Con. We're actually going to talk about it next week. We both had a chance to play it. And that is City of the Big Shoulders. This is a game about Chicago in the 1870s. Takes place over five decades, leading right up to the World's Fair and the start of the Great Depression. You will play as one of the many famous companies that came out of Chicago. You got like Oscar Mayer and Kraft and Quaker Oats and Nabisco. You get the idea, right? And the designers described it as a mix of 18XX and like heavy Euro economic games. And it really does play out like that. So the game is five rounds long. And each round you have a stock phase. You're buying and selling stocks. A building phase where you're building different things that go into Chicago. And then you have an action phase where you're placing different items onto your personal mat, as well as workers that you're going to place out onto the board and to take additional actions. There's also an operating phase in which you are going to buy resources, produce goods, ship them out to Chicago and, and all that stuff. So you can see like the weaving of different mechanics between like you have the, the stocks, which are a big part of this. You have your own personal companies that you're going to start with. But at like any good double 18 double X game, you don't own the company necessarily. You have stock in the company. And this is a big part of this game. There will be payouts to the company. The company will gain money. And there'll be payouts to the individual, usually coming from the company. Your personal money is what you're worried about. That's what you're going to score at the end of the game. But your company needs money to run. But other people can purchase enough stock to take over your company. You can purchase new companies. All that kind of stuff. This is like a core idea of 18XX is that you don't own the company. You're managing the company until someone else also manages that company because they have more stock in it. And it's kind of that flow and push and pull of the game that makes it really interesting. Again, we haven't really dug into this one as much, but this is really designed as like an entry level kind of 18XX style Euro game. And from what I've played so far, it does a very good job of that. It's worth checking out. It's City of the Big Shoulders. And finally, for me, typically I go on the heavy side as far as games are concerned. But here I'm going to go in the out of print style game, a game that's a little bit on the lighter side, but definitely has a lot of the great and interesting mechanics of 18 double X games. If you can find it, that's Airlines Europe, or it's also re-implemented in Union Pacific. Now, this is a route building game, stock control game. That's a great entry gateway game from Alan Moon. So if you want to get people into that heavier style, this is a good way to get them started. So basically, this game is all about expanding different airline companies and purchasing stocks in those companies in order to score. So again, with the stock mechanic here, you don't necessarily own anything beyond your own stocks and the money you'll collect throughout the game. So you do want other people to buy in, but hopefully not buy in so much that you lose controlling interest if that stock is high. So basically on a player's turn, that player either expands an airline, 
and claims the stock, places stock onto the board and receives a dividend, invests in a special airline or gets a certain amount of money from the bank. That's pretty much it. It's a great and fantastic way to get into those 18 double X games. So dip your toe into this heavier style of gaming and I guarantee you'll enjoy it. All right, so that's everything for this week. Until next time, this is Chris. And this is Anthony. And we'll save you a seat at the table. together for the greater good of gaming. It's sort of like Voltron, but with better lip syncing. Find out more at Dicetowernetwork.com.